The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. We can see that illuminated sign that marks the end of the journey. This vaccine will help us get past this pandemic once and for all. We need people to have faith that this vaccine is safe and that they should take it. The thing that's going to stop us from seeing the end of this pandemic are people going, oh, I'm not so sure. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Roger Hearing. And very good afternoon. I'm Caroline Hepke. Uh, Well, the full reopening of England's economy on the 21st of June is not yet certain amid the spread of the COVID variant first found in India, Roger. This morning, the business secretary, Kwasi Kwarteng, says that he believes it is still too early to know what will happen. It's impossible for anyone to know what the situation will be like in a a week or two weeks' time. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, we'll be looking at the data we've said repeatedly that we won't make a final decision about the 21st of June until the 14th of June, a week before. Meanwhile, the Health Secretary, Matt Hancock, remains under pressure after Dominic Cummings' unprecedented accusations that Hancock lied and that the government mishandled the crisis. This morning, Sam Monaghan, the chief executive of MHA, the UK's largest charity and care home provider, said it was not the case the government had thrown a protective ring around care homes. Well, those are some of the top political news lines this morning. But we also have a special programme for you today, Roger. Yeah, let's get on to the subject, which is the confrontation continuing between Belarus and Western countries over the diversion of a Ryanair flight and the arrest of a dissident journalist and his girlfriend who were on board. There is a sense of frustration that the sanctions being planned by the EU, the UK and the US on Belarus may have little effect given that Belarus always has an open door to Russia and gets plenty of support from therein. Today, the Belarus president, Alexander Lukashenko, has gone to Moscow for talks with President Putin. But both Russia and Belarus do have one major weakness. Their leaders need for London as a place for investment and storing wealth. Now, it's already been the subject of close attention from politicians here. Last year, Parliament's Intelligence and Security Committee described London being used as a kind of laundromat for dirty Russian cash, and it warned of the consequences. So, could it also be a pressure point on Moscow and Minsk? Well, the Conservative MP and the chair of the Foreign Affairs Select Committee, Tom Dugandat, has said that Belarus's dictators aren't acting in isolation, that their allies in Moscow help them militarily, but sadly, too many others allow them to survive financially. So much of the money flows through democratic states. According to the MP, he says that we should expose that corruption and reveal the regime for what it is. Well, joining us now is Timothy Ash, Senior Sovereign Strategist, Emerging Markets at Blue Bay Asset Management. Timothy, thanks for being with us. How far is London still the go-to place for oligarchs and those with big money from Russia and Belarus? Well, it is, no doubt about it. I've done some work looking at capital flows from Russia to the West and particularly to, uh, to the UK and London. And I estimate that over the last 30 years, probably something like $600 billion has flowed out of Russia 
through the UK economy. Uh, and probably also, if you add into that the various IPOs and capital raising activities that Russian entities do, there's probably another $2 trillion uh, of funding that's raised in London. I estimate that, that London probably earns something like around $450 million a year on fees related to those various capital inflows and, and transactions. So there's a lot of buying power there. And, you know, Russian mm -hmm. money you know, employs lawyers, it employs bankers, you know, it, it buys influence with politicians, you know, £100,000 tennis matches, uh, academia business. I mean, those numbers I, I gave doesn't include trade as well. So, you know, a lot of buying power. Uh, many of those entities are state-related, so they clearly operate um, driven by Russian state interests in when they are buying power and influence throughout the UK economy. So uh, pretty worrying, actually. Why is London so attractive then? Unfortunately, I think, uh, well, you know, it's it's the biggest global financial centre. It's it's. Uh, it probably was was uh, was obvious, I guess, and and, and rational that, that Russian capital wanted to come through London. Um, I mean, I think historically compliance standards were not high enough. I mean, that that's obvious. Uh, there's a lot of focus on offshore centres, but I think the reality also is is British governments didn't ask enough questions. And one of the key problems we have is, you know, if you think of, you know, there's KYC, know your client rules, imposed mm -hmm. on banks. And they all do due diligence, let's say, on Russian oligarchs. But the problem is that, you know, in, in those searches that banks and companies do about the cleanliness of a particular oligarch, I mean, the, the problem is most of this money is raised in jurisdictions where there isn't rule of law. An oligarch could make his billions stealing money in Russia, but he, he's never prosecuted. So when a bank looks at a particular oligarch that may, you know, own a football club in the U.K., uh, he'll come up clean in terms of, you know, he has no track record of of, uh, of Ill illegality in his, his home jurisdiction. But that's because the home jurisdiction is not clean, right? So I think those standards need to be raised. And I think, uh, you know, the default settings for jurisdictions like Russia that are clearly very dodgy in terms of rule of law need to have extreme red flags that, you know, it, it should be the the obligation of, of the oligarch or, or individual trying to put money through the London financial system to prove that he has a, a clean track record. And, and, you know, that's the reality is, is not... A, I mean, just an, a great example is the Premier League. You know, the Premier League has this, uh, this fit and proper test. I mean, in reality, I mean, is that serious? You know, you know the origins of a lot of the oligarch money—not just Russian, but elsewhere—that that flow through the Premier League. I mean, does the UK football industry really care where the money comes from? The reality is, it hasn't, right? And I think you could say that about about UK UK PLC. We we didn't yeah. ask enough questions, and and maybe it's too late. Maybe, maybe the UK our system is already too corrupted by this money. And maybe also there's a reluctance, perhaps because actually it's quite lucrative for us. I mean, since the report that came out from the, the, the Intelligence and Security Committee, it's a year at least since then. I mean, obviously there have been other things on the government's minds, I dare say. But at the same time, there doesn't seem to be much push to tighten things up. Is it because perhaps it would just be too costly for us? Well, as I said, possibly as much as 450 million in, in fees earned on that money. And I think that's the minimum. I think it's probably a lot more than that. I mean, we have to ask ourselves, I mean, you know, Russia is a clear 
you know, a state actor that is, is, is acting with malign interests against the UK and our allies, right? You know, though that report, the, the parliamentary report you mentioned, was crystal clear. You know, why isn't our government taking action? You know, is our system, as I said, already too corrupted by this money to, to actually want to do something? But, you know, you know, Russia, uh, you know, Putin is trying to corrupt our very system, our very way of life. It's attack on Western liberal market democracy and the rule of law in the UK. We should all care about that. Mm-hmm. Right. And and unfortunately, it seems as though uh, the guys who run the UK, for whatever reason, don't really seem to be taking it seriously enough. What are, one of the um, big sort of focuses of attention that came out of the issue with Belarus and the potential sanctions is a look at Belarusian bonds, Belarusian bonds, which are actually listed on the London Stock Exchange. And there was one launched in 2020. I mean, is that one way? I mean, it was it has been discussed, um, you know, as perhaps a response to the Ryanair plane incident, but it seems to have been almost dismissed sort of immediately. How easy would it be to do something like that? Well, pretty easy. I mean, uh, the U.S. Treasury uh, recently sanctioned uh, Russian sovereign ruble debt. It previously sanctioned Russian dollar debt. It's a bit ridiculous that, you know, Belarus can still access and finance... Well, Lukashenko can still finance him, himself through through UK markets. So I think it's relatively easy, easily done, sanctioning primary issue of, of, of Belarus sovereign debt. Mm. Um, you know, and I'm surprised, you know, it's, it's very, very low-hanging fruit and it's a very easy thing to do. And I suppose by extension, one could also perhaps take on a lot of the Russian money in the similar way, seeing it as a political lever, perhaps, in some ways, given that much of it is quite questionable anyway. Would the UK government be able to tighten up, at least in legislative terms, pretty easily? Well, we should should be able to do. I mean, it doesn't even need legislation. It just just needs a signal from the Treasury and the Bank of England uh, to UK financial institutions that uh, it, they want those institutions to take a much firmer look at where this money is coming from. We already have these KYC, know your client rules, um, and just signal that you know for for dodgy jurisdictions like Russia, but many other countries around the world, that uh, you know they need to look much more carefully. Uh, at, at, at this money and, and uh, the bar for uh, agreeing to, to, to run and manage this money needs to be set at a higher level. So it doesn't really need yeah. legislation. It needs regulators to toughen up. Well, will they in post-Brexit Britain? I mean, what effect does this have on financial services in London? Well, look, I mean, the, the, a price has to... I mean, one of the problems, I think, in general with sanctions against malign actors like Russia is uh, there's been a reluctance to pay the price, reluctance, you know, all this stuff, sanctions, you know, imposes a cost on, on countries like Russia, but it also imposes a cost on, on us, right? I mean, you look with the North Stream 2 sanctions at the moment that, you know, is in, up for debate between the Americans and the Germans. The Germans are not really willing to pay the price, right? Uh, we have to be. I mean, if we care about our very system of government, right, democracy, it should have a, you know, we should be able to uh, be willing to pay the price, right? I mean, we like, you know, it's interesting, all these oligarchs, they, they rather like living in London, right? They rather like le- using our legal system because it, it is deemed to be uh, yeah. 
you know, fair and uh, it works well. And they like living here because it's a democracy. I mean, it's, it's, it's someone ironic, you know. They, but, well, you know, while, while their own government is trying to corrupt our system, um, you know, they, they end up, they, they all quite living here and sending their kids they, to school. But, they, but like you know, using, I, they like using ours, I guess, would be the point on that. And maybe it is a point of pressure. Timothy, thanks so much for being with us. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. But now let's get back to the subject of our special, which is looking at the Russian and Belarusian investment in London and the ways in which it might present a pressure point in the West's dealings with Moscow and Minsk. Well, joining us now is Samantha Debenden, who's Senior Advisor for Russia, EU and the Financial Crime at Conflict Studies Research Centre Think Tank. Samantha, thanks for being with us today. Do you think that possibly putting pressure on the investments in London from Minsk and Moscow could be a vulnerability for Putin or Lukashenko? Well, uh, I definitely do. And I think that um, in order to understand um, what these investments mean, um, we have to look at the history of of Russian money in London. And I'm saying Russian money, although we are talking about Belarus, because Belarus and Russia are very, very closely tied. And um, the, the way in which money leaves the country is very similar. And uh, London is the favorite destination for IPOs of, of Russian money. The, the, the only single Belarusian IPO that was about to take place in international markets was going to take place in London, but that was scrapped um, because the, the issuer decided that the, um, the market conditions weren't, weren't correct. That was in 2018. But when you have an IPO in, in London or anywhere else, the money that comes out of that IPO is all of a sudden clean money. So we're not talking about clandestine money. We're not talking about dirty money. We're talking about money that overnight becomes respectable, that does not raise any um, unexplained wealth orders. Now, why is this a problem? Uh, the problem is, is that because most Russian companies, and the same would be for Belarusian companies, have very, very strong links to the state. Um, out of 60 companies, 60 Russian companies that have been IPO'd in London, uh, my investigations, which are actually not very difficult investigations, this is all open source, 50 of those have um, very strong ties to the Russian government. And um, when you are... uh, Yes? Well, there was an issue, for example, with Oleg Deripaska when he tried his IPO here in, um, in London. Is there actually any sign that the UK government might be tightening up on this? I mean, given the Ryanair flight incident, which has sort of prompted yet more sanctions, is there any tightening up coming? I haven't seen any sign at all. I just want to remind listeners of, of a very interesting incident. You all remember the poisoning of Alexander Litvinenko in London, um, poison yes. that has been attributed to the, the Russian state. There were calls for public inquiry that were strongly resisted at the time by then um, uh, Home Secretary Theresa May. One of the reasons it was invoked was that we did not want to um, damage our diplomatic ties with Russia. Now, uh, when you have diplomatic ties with a country that is investing billions into our country, where that is um, where 
senior businessmen are financing our government ruling party, where our prime minister has close friendships with people who in the previous regime were part of the KGB and whose children uh, are now British citizens and in the House of Lords. That raises the issue of how capable we actually are of putting pressure on Russia, mm. considering potential conflicts of interest. Samantha, one of the thoughts, though, is what if there were pressure? How would Putin or Lukashenko respond to that? Would it put them at threat from some of their supporters, potentially? I think that that's a very, very difficult question to answer. Um, pressure on Putin would... Um, it, it depends on what you talk about pressure on Putin or pressure on those who are around him. Putting on pressure on Putin, putting pressure on individuals without putting pressure on their families is not going to have much result. Put too much pressure on a country like Belarus, for instance, where the country is now absolutely locked. The people are locked inside with their jailer. Planes aren't going out. The, 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 the borders are closed. Will not have much um, impact in the short term because you can only really have impact in a democracy when the people are suffering. If you start putting pressure on, on Putin, on his um, entourage, and on the senior business people and make it practically impossible for them to spend their money in the West, to um, not only just to float their companies, but to actually come to the West and spend their money. There's no point in having loads of money if you can't actually spend it. That could have um, an effect, but it will, take, it will take a long time. And I think as if, if I were in government, I would try to think what I'm trying to achieve. And I don't think uh, any of our governments know what they want to achieve with Russia. It, it's a very, very difficult one. But um, we can't not put pressure on, but just sanctions and wringing our hands and gnashing our, our teeth isn't going to make much difference. We have to think about very, very strong um, measures, such as banning a, long, a, a large part of indiv many individuals entering the United Kingdom or the European Union or the West. Samantha, thank you. That's great. Samantha DeBenden there, Senior Advisor for Russia, EU and Financial Crime at the Conflict Studies Research Centre Think Tank. Joining us there with an interesting perspective on mm. the potential for this, Caroline. Yeah, indeed. Well, joining us now is Duncan Hames, who is Director of Policy and Programmes at Transparency International. Duncan, welcome to the programme. So, look, you listened to Samantha there saying, questioning whether there is even the possibility of the UK being able to deal with a state like Russia and Belarus. I mean, it scores Belarus 63rd out of 180 countries around the world on Transparency International's annual corruption index. I mean, can the UK effectively target states like Belarus? Well, the UK certainly ought to seek to work in concert with its allies. And I think one of the uh, trends that we are seeing now off of the back of the very successful uh, Magnitsky, global Magnitsky campaign uh, is uh, that the current foreign secretary in the UK um, is uh, you know, very keen to use sanctions, uh, not targeted sanctions, against uh, individuals in positions of power to hold them to account and to make life uncomfortable for them in relation to those that have been involved in human rights abuses, of which clearly there have been a great many in Belarus uh, recently, uh, and also those involved in corruption. And um, we, we had announced only, only last month that the start of a UK corruptions-based sanctions uh, regime. Uh, and uh, I think we will see more cases where uh, you, you hear um, day after day um, uh, the US, Canada, Britain, other allies acting in concert uh, to 
to make very clear that um, uh, if, if you're associated with these kind of activities, then um, your freedom to operate here in the UK or to be in the UK uh, will be severely curtailed. And that, of course, Duncan, I mean, we've heard already uh, from Samantha and also from Timothy Ash of Blue Bay Asset Management that clearly London is the centre for this kind of thing. So potentially that is the point, the choke point, really. And it would hit, I guess, not the people of Belarus or the people of Russia, but the very rich supporters of the leaders. Is that that's an efficient way in a way, I guess, of putting pressure on? Uh, yes, the current trend in these sanctions is to be very targeted at uh, in individuals, their families, uh, in networks of power. But, but for this to work, we do have to have a really clear understanding about their financial interests in our country, in our financial centres. And there's a lot that the government needs to do here in the UK to uh, really get a firm handle on that. Uh, the use of overseas companies to hold real estate in the UK is a major gap. Uh, and the government has legislation that has been drafted, but which has not been introduced yet uh, to try and address this, the, the Register of Overseas Entities uh, Bill. Uh, we at Transparency International UK have identified over 400 properties in the UK, between them worth over £5 billion, that have been bought with suspicious wealth. Uh, but that's only because of information available through leaks and other open source materials. So that's probably just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, but without identifying who is behind the company, some 40,000 or so UK properties are owned by, um, you won't know which assets uh, need to be constrained in any sanctions uh, initiative. Um, is London's, are London's ties to Russian money, to, to Belarusian money, is that having an impact um, in sort of Transparency International's view on on um, corruption here in the UK, on, on Britain's standing, you know, which is widely seen as, um, a, as a reasonably corruption-free state. Is it having any impact? Um, well, I think it is notable that our, our friends in the United States, you know, Britain's closest uh, ally, uh, do speak openly about their concerns about money laundering uh, through through London into the UK. And uh, I think we'll see this as a theme of the um, upcoming Summit for Democracy that the Biden administration plans to host at the end of the year, beginning of next year, uh, where, it, where it seeks to kind of reinforce the defences of its closest allies. Uh, and uh, and that's something that this country needs to, to take very seriously. There was a period uh, uh, we call the blind faith period where investor visas were offered in the UK in which uh, the Home Office and the banks each um, thought the other one was doing checks on the individuals who were being awarded these visas. Um, and uh, there were over 700 Russian nationals and their families granted investor visa status over a period of seven years each each needing to invest to the tune of one to two million pounds. Uh, and, and the banks assumed that because they'd been awarded these visas that the government had checked out that these people and their money was legit. Uh, and in fact, um, uh, the government was assuming uh, the opposite. Now, whilst that loophole appears to have been closed, it's absolutely dependent on proper checks being conducted by people um, when... when yeah asking about the origins of funds that are being brought into the UK. Uh, and and we, we know that, that London is an attractive place uh, for this money to be brought. And without proper checks, we won't know that the money coming here is clean. So, 
It's the time for checks and perhaps the time for applying pressure. Thank you so much for being with us, Duncan Hames there, Director of Policy and Programmes at Transparency International UK. Joining us here on Bloomberg Westminster, where we've been looking at the issue of how to put pressure potentially on Russia and Belarus by using what seems to be a vulnerability, which is the amount of money that they've got invested here in London. That's it for today. You can listen again or catch up on previous episodes by downloading the daily podcast on Apple Music or your preferred radio app give us a review as well we'd love to get your feedback bloomberg westminster listen weekdays at noon on dab digital radio in london the countdown has begun from may 14th to 16th a thousand global leaders will gather in doha for the carter economic forum powered by bloomberg Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.